Hello. So today I would like to talk about the aspects of a good field instructor. So I work in wilderness therapy and the people who work directly with the students out in the wilderness for up to two weeks at a time, um, sometimes longer than that, but anyway, that's a typical rotation for hours, um, have certain duties while they're out there. And to accomplish these, one has to have certain qualities. Um, I was one of these. I was a field instructor uh, for about seven and a half years, so in the neighborhood of about 14 to 1500 days with um, in the wilderness with children at risk and, and young adults at risk. So these seven proficiencies that I'm going to be describing have to do with working with young people anywhere from just, you know, sort of well-adjusted, typical young people to those who are uh, maybe struggling uh, emotionally or have had trauma in their life or, or that sort of thing, uh, perhaps in a treatment program. So these seven things that I'm going to describe would actually work for uh, would apply for anybody who works in the context of a treatment program, a school of any kind, perhaps if you're a coach of a team or something like that, um, uh, a therapist even, um, certainly a teacher in a high school context, uh, uh, parenting as well, actually. So any context wherein uh, somebody is, you know, an older person is working with younger people, especially those who might need help. And what I have found in my life is that a lot of, it, it's not just ones that are identified as, you know, troubled children are the ones that need help. All kids do. So the seven proficiencies of someone who would hope to be able to help young people. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. So in um in my experience uh there's there's certain qualities that if, if you have all of them you'll just be an amazing practitioner with young people um, if you have some of them that's cool too you can work on developing other ones one of them is about being one who works on developing other ones so um, we'll go through that. It started out with, I think, four areas, and then it expanded to seven. Seven distinct areas of uh, potential proficiency that are distinct enough one from the other that they deserve their own category. So the first one is called seeker. So if I am to be someone who is is proficient, who's good at, talented at, Helping young people, I need to be a seeker. Well, what does that mean? It, it, needs, it, it, it means I need to be somebody who is still on a road of learning myself and that my students notice that. So I'm going to use the word student, client, um, child, all interchangeably. I'll probably use the word student uh, most in this discussion. Uh, the reason for that is uh, because I think in any of the contexts, parent, coach, teacher, uh, frontline staff for a treatment program, the student would still apply. 
If you're a parent, your children are also students, for example. So um, if a student notices you as the teacher, as the parent, as the older person, still having a passion for learning, this has an effect on them. So you want to be a seeker for those two reasons. One, because you still want to be learning. Um, once you stop learning, I, I, I suppose you kind of start declining. So you, you want to be one who is learning in life. And you also want to be one who makes this evident to the people, the students that you're working with. So seeker. Um, still be a seeker in life. Still be passionate about what is the next thing you want to discover. Um, be trying to get better at what you do. And that usually includes gaining more knowledge. If you're a seeker, you're going to inspire students to be seekers. And that's what we want them to be, obviously. Um, and they will be seekers of what you can teach them by your example of being just that. So if you are a parent um, and you're, oh gosh, reading a book, reading a book that, uh, that, that has to do with, you know, becoming a better person or, or, you know, important literature, whatever, you're reading a book, you're educating yourself and your kids see that. That's cool. If you're working out in the, in the wilderness as a field instructor, you're reading it, the, the reading a book thing would count. If you're a teacher at a high school, Perhaps while you're teaching a particular subject, you might talk about the two days before when you were reading up on it a little bit more and you learned something new that you didn't know last year when you taught the same subject, for example. And you actually say these things. And so your students are like, wow, that, my teacher is still reading, still learning, still trying to search and grow and find. Um, this is uh, something that's super important. And so whatever mechanism that you want to choose to be a seeker. We have uh, our mechanisms for our field instructors in the wilderness, sort of uh, suggestions and ways that they can uh, practice being a seeker. Anyway, find out what that might be for you. And you know, you maybe, maybe you're a, um, maybe you, you have a doctorate in something and you've, you're like a pretty learned person and you have kids or you're a professor of, 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 you know, at a college or whatever, still be a learner that, that may inspire your children or your students more than, than the knowledge that you can elucidate to them. They might be inspired because they're just seeing you still trying to gain more, whether or not you have a lot in the first place. So being a seeker is important. So the second aspect of being a good um, conveyor of teaching and example and everything to younger, the younger generation in the role of a teacher or a field staff or whatever the case may be, is to be a beckoner. Um, that's the term that I have for it. What's a beckoner? A beckoner is someone who has figured out how to elicit the student to come to you. So there's a few principles around that. One is getting below them. So there's a Taoist principle, which I will also be talking about in another podcast series, uh, having to do with 
this idea of being lower, being something that is easily flowed to. So being a river to streams, being a sea to rivers, being an ocean to rivers depositing the lower the, everything goes lower you you you're you're in a very humble place you're in a very respectful place you're not in a weak place but you're in a place wherein the student feels like they don't need to resist you they're they're um they're drawn they see inspiration they don't feel like they're being run over uh they are inspired by your approachability um your tone your comportment your attitude is comfortable inviting encouraging um easy something you have figured out a way to get the student to want to choose you. We call that being chosen as a mentor or becoming chosen. Um, it is sometimes sometimes you can you can actually if you see if you see a teacher working with students but you like through a window or something you can't. You can't hear what's going on. All you see is like how they are um, sort of their, their, their position, their body language, their movement of the teacher, and then how the students are watching. And you could tell in, you know, 10 minutes or less of watching that whether or not that teacher is a beckoner. Uh, if, if students, they don't have to be enraptured, but if students are like paying attention and the teacher has, has, has gained their attention because of, uh, how perhaps how passionate they are about this material or that they are, um, they're explaining it in a way that, um, that 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 you can't help but just sort of attend to um that this is this is something that can be practiced uh, some people are born with it some people uh pay attention enough to people who do this regularly and know how to do it to replicate it until it kind of becomes natural to them as well but if you can get like the ocean to streams and to rivers so that they flow, you will go very, very far with students and with children because young people resist people more than they resist principles, in my experience. It seems like they resist principles or resist being obedient or resist performing well. They often resist the people in their lives that are um, not beckoners, more like forcers. And um, not all of them do. So, some kids are, are far better at complying than others. And, you know, in education and in families and in society, those who comply are rewarded. 
and those who are not as quick to comply or, or who are d d talented you know, in compliance often are looked at as um, you know the troublemakers and, and, and the troublemakers can get a sense that they're being looked at like that and they won't flow. They will not flow to you as the teacher, as the parent, as the, as the field instructor. So be a beckoner. Draw them. Okay, the third one is called uh, spirit maker. I call it spirit maker. Well, what does that mean? If I am a wilderness field instructor and the, um, the context that I find myself is the wilderness, then if I find cool wildernessiness things to do um, or, or to, to uh, have on my person or, or um, things to make or things to accomplish, then it, the, the rapidity at which children will just be ready to listen to you is miraculous. Um, I have seen, I would say now, hundreds of times kids or groups of kids who are kind of resisting what's going on and the instructor walks off to the side and gets an addle-addle and darts if you don't know what that is it's um a, a small device that is basically a stick that's hooked in a, a oversized arrow and you throw these arrows 100 yards do that once or twice and and uh, students turn their turn their heads and they and they want to they want to know what the heck you're doing and uh, they get involved one or two or all um, a flute play, play, play a flute out of, out of the out of the blue and you'll get a, a whole different kind of set of students interested in that some are interested in both um, if I am an algebra teacher and my kids walk into my room and they see white walls everywhere and you know, it's just time to get out your books and let's solve for X. Well, that's great. But what if they come in and there's a poster of Einstein and um, there, there's examples of the application of math? Like, what the heck is it for? There are, um, there, in, in the ambiance of the room, there are reasons provided visually to uh, uh, sort of, there's things that help provide reasons to even care about algebra. Uh, not that just you just gotta learn it. Um, the same would be true if I'm a, you know, geology teacher. Now, some kind of teachers often do that better than others. Uh, so the, the math teacher wasn't a really great example because that's really hard to do compared to being a science teacher. You know, you got the, you got the, uh, um, salamander in the in the cage over there and you got you know interesting things um, test tubes and things that burn you know and, and students kind of get into that and so it, some teachers have an advantage but all teachers and all subjects can actually do this parents can do this um, authority figures of all types can do this you create an ambiance um, uh, the movie Dead Poets Society actually is a good example of almost all seven of these things that I'm bringing up today. But certainly uh, Spirit Maker would be one of those. Um, when uh, Robin Williams 
uh, rest his soul, when he brings the boys downstairs to have them look at all the old pictures and starts whispering at them, um, you know, the, they could not help themselves but to become interested. And he took them to the place that had the spirit of, the, of what he was trying to communicate. He was a spirit maker. So when, when, when you go to the wilderness, do you, do you have your modern gear that um, now you get to sort of explain why um, Mountain Hardware is a cool brand? Or do you have a backpack that you made? and a camping chair that you made and a cooking pot that you made and moccasins and tire sandals that you hike in that you made and you always have one or two flutes that you made and that you know how to play and you have beadwork and the ability to create all kinds of beading creations and all the students can can do it right with you as well all the time um, you have enough leather to make you know little little things for anybody at any given moment for the whole time you're out there the whole rotation that you're out there and you bring all this stuff with you i did that every single time for about the last maybe maybe thousand days of my wilderness experience as a field instructor and um the children just were drawn in um i'm, I'm going to do a podcast just on that idea this idea of primitive living skills in a wilderness therapy setting and what that what that does and how powerful it is so anyway spirit maker it, it goes together with beckoner and you can't do those two unless you've been a seeker for a, a long enough of a time to learn how to do that stuff to portray to your students so the fourth thing now is is called uh, catalyst so what i mean by catalyst is you need to be the sort of person who is okay with confronting and uh, helping sharply when necessary students recognize their behavior um, that that may not be really great and change it as necessary now if you live in a part of the world where it's storming all the time clouds storm lightning just happening all the time throughout the day every single day of the year after a while if you grow up there um you, you won't even hear the lightning or, or the thunder you won't see the lightning you won't hear the thunder anymore it's just sort of in the background sort of there but nobody really pays attention anymore if you grow up in a place that never has lightning and thunder or very rarely and you know you're having a conversation with somebody and crack you know this this uh, uh lightning lights up the sky and then you hear thunder that's going to get your attention and it's no more loud it's no more frightening um or attention getting than the other scenario where it's happening all the time but it just sort of becomes this drone if it's happening all the time. So a catalyst knows when to make noise. And when I say noise, meaning when to change up what is happening. And certainly when not to. So um, it, 
it's more powerful if it's done with such intention that it just doesn't happen all the dang time. If, I mean, all of us have heard this scenario, this, this uh, metaphor before. Um, uh, if all you have is a hammer available to you, then you kind of see everything as a nail or, or that everything needs, needs a nail in it. Um, my tool is a hammer. Well, nailing is what I do. Um, so if I'm kind of loud and controlling all the time, that's what I do after a while. It just, the, the, the students around you are going to go nuts or they're just going to let you be that drone. They're just going to put you right out. You don't even, you're not even really there anymore. Um, they're very good at it. They're very good at just kind of shutting, shutting that off. Um, children who are traumatized are especially good at it just block. I'm just blocking you. Um, oppositional children are really good at opposing it. So it's more of an invitation to just oppose things because I got to keep fighting these battles against the constant thunder, constant, constant. But if it's quiet, 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 boom. And when I say boom, what I mean is we sharply interject when needed and then we stop. So if you're you know, if your child takes your car without permission, well, figure out a way how to lightening that up. Not just, you know, they, they finally get home and then you just act really pissed at them and um, you sort of emotionally punish them for the next six days. Well, you just became this storm. <laughs> but if it's precise, if it's about the, the, the actual subject matter, um, they did something without permission or whatever, then that's bah. But then you go back to, doesn't mean you can't go out to lunch with them the next day. They're just grounded from every other person in life that they know, not from you. So you, you still can, can be a normal human with them. You did the lightning. Now we're going into, you know, the, the sunny day. Uh, uh, but they know where the lightning comes from and they kind of like the sunny day and that, 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 let's keep that going. And it comes from the same source. So that's interesting to me. I, I think I need to pay attention to that. Um, so being a catalyst is watching and doing what needs to be done, then stopping. It's another Taoist concept. You don't keep going. You don't over sharpen a blade. You don't overfill a cup. You stop at the right time. Not, not too soon, by the way. You don't, you don't want to just let students do whatever they want. Um, but uh, interject meaningfully and powerfully. When you do it as well, it's important to help them understand um, their effect on others. And, 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 and sometimes that is as... Um, important in the process as just getting them to stop whatever their their negative behavior is so think of ways wherein you can powerfully interject not embarrassingly not um not in a way where they feel like you are punishing their person or um sort of disregarding their person, but you are interjecting on their behavior. 
and, that, and that's very different. Um, and then if you kind of have a compensatory, like you don't, you kind of kind of overcompensate a little bit in terms of kindness um, afterwards. That's usually good too, because then they they realize that this is coming from somebody that actually cares about me. So, um, when sharp interjections come from somebody who I know cares about me, I tend to take them more seriously. And um, I almost take them as an act of, of caring, like the actual act of getting on to me. So um, there you go. Uh, so you have to be a catalyst. You have to get in the middle of things. Precisely, timely, then be done. All right. Uh, the next one is guardian. So guardian, what does that mean? It means... You know where your children are. You know what they're doing. You know who their friends are. You don't, you don't just know their friends' names. You know who their friends are. You make it to where their friends' parents wonder why they like you more than their own parents. It sounds kind of funny. But that happens a lot, actually. When, when we're um, emotionally sort of wrapped up uh, in... in um, conflict with our own children for example their friends parents uh, typically can give the same advice we do and they'll listen to them and the same thing happens with um, our kids friends so know who their friends are know where they are know what they do know know what they're interested in um, so you know what's going on if, in, if you're a um, a frontline staff at a residential treatment center you actually know what what is happening because you're kind of in the middle of it um you don't say hey play amongst yourselves and and then you know read your facebook feed you're involved in what the kids are doing if a game is being played you play it with them and you um you look for nuances in terms of the signals that they give each other. And you're, you're always, you're, you're a sentinel. You're watching what is happening. Um, and you're making sure that it stays within the bounds that it is supposed to. So guardian. Guardian is making sure that the parameters of what's going on with the kids that I'm working with are well-defined and I'm watching them. Um, I'm watching subtleties and nuances so that um, I'm attending to everything. I'm, I'm just paying attention. Um, my wife and I were both field staff and uh, uh, field instructors. So we were, you know, sort of professionally trained by experience to always be knowing where students are. So we had six, six kids of our own. And so it would always be this, you know, one, two, three, five, six, one, two, three, five, six. I'm, I got these three. You got those three, you know. We were at a park. It was about numbering them. Um, you get to where your vigilance over the situation is, is, has, it's, it's very highly attuned. Um, and, you know, you're watching for how some students are treating other students. Um, and if you're doing the other pieces, the 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 beckoner and the spirit maker and, and you're being a seeker and it won't be as hard to be a guardian because if you see them you know getting out of the line so to speak 
um, you're already somebody who has a pretty good relationship with them because you do the other things too. And you're like, hey, you know, knock it off, you know, and they, they tend to knock it off. Um, they might even giggle if you get a little bit, you know, harsh with them. Well, you knock it off and they'll laugh, they'll laugh you know, because they know that that is not, uh, that you're not being serious about your tone, but that you are being serious about that they need to stop what they're doing. Um, it becomes a lot, uh, it, they, they will get a sense of that you're protecting them even from themselves, that, that you are um, containing them, and, and kids want to feel contained. So the uh, next subject, the next uh, of the seven proficiencies, is called mentor. Well, most of us know what mentor means. Um, it's where I am uh, somebody who is teaching somebody the ropes. Uh, I'm teaching somebody about the subject matter that they are um, interested in um uh, if you have you know a, a police lieutenant will refer to the police captain maybe as their mentor in their career um uh, you'll have um uh, uh you know scientists who grew up under another scientist anyway i i i'm in a, a position as a teacher as a parent as a field instructor to mentor all the time um, if i'm a teacher i can teach the subject matter to for which I was hired to do, but I can throw mentoring in there. Um, I see mentoring as more of a one-on-one -on -one, kind of up on the side sort of um, uh, uh, scenario. So, you know, in small moments, you know, when kids are leaving class, if you're a teacher and you kind of just, hey, hey, Scott, you know, or hey, Phil, you know, just as they're walking out the door and you just take a moment, you know, I noticed you did this. That's really interesting for these reasons. So just little moments of mentoring are uh, very, very powerful. So I had an art teacher. I'll explain more about him probably later, but uh, he was my art teacher, but he was also my track coach. And I was running around the track and he came up to me once and he said, oak trees, oak trees, Shane, I want you to think about oak trees. You know, if you see one oak tree, they, it, it doesn't really count as a grove of oak trees. Two oak trees, that doesn't count as a grove either. But three, three oak trees, three tall oak trunks in the tree, this, this counts as a grove of oak trees. Everybody knows this. And so I'm like, okay, and I go and run. A little bit later in the day, uh, he said, have you ever noticed salt shakers? I'm like, yeah, I, I know what a salt shaker is. They typically have three holes, usually not more than three holes. Uh, salt shakers, it's very important, you know, to have at least three. So, you know, that salt shakers have that. There's like a, you know, like an S, you know, and then three holes on the top of a salt shaker, typically. And, um, if you're a smart person, if you go to salt something, then you'll, you know, you'll just shake it three times. Four is probably too much. Two, probably not enough. So anyway, just remember that, you know, salt, salt shaker. Three, you know, salt's tiny, like a little dot. Just thought I'd, thought I'd teach you something about salt oak trees. And I'm like, you're weird. And then um, he did that actually with just several random stories like that. Um, a few days later, during track practice, 
he pulled me aside and he goes, hey, Shane, do you know Morse code? And I'm like, I know. I don't know anything about Morse code. I've never even looked into Morse code. He goes, what do you think Morse code for O is? And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know. He goes, well, you know what the dots and the dashes, and he explained that. And he goes, so O, oak, oak trees. What do you think Morse code for O is? And I'm like, oak trees, okay, you brought up oak trees. I don't know, is it uh, three trees, the trunks you talked about? Dash, 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 exactly. What's Morse code for salt, for S? I'm like, salt, Jeanette. Dot, dot, dot. So I knew what SOS was, I knew what H was, I knew what P was, I knew what A, B, C. I actually knew most of Morse code in the alphabet because he'd pulled me aside and just did these random things. And then, of course, he uh, would add little inter interjectory bits of wisdom here and there. He knew how to be a mentor. He also knew, by the way, how to be a beckoner um, and, and other things as well. But anyway, he, he was a mentor of mine. Um, and it, teaching me the Morse code was, was part of that. So <clears throat> being a mentor is helping a student in their life, not just in the subject matter that you're teaching. And if you're a teacher of any subject, you can also be a mentor. If you are a wilderness field instructor, you can teach them how to do wildernessy stuff and also be a mentor. Um, in my opinion, a real mentor isn't one that just is a mentor in police work, if, it, if it's the scenario that I described earlier. But it helps you help somebody be a, a better person, a more fulfilled person. Um, and you don't mess that up. And, and uh, a person walks away and for the rest of their life, they remember this time when they were mentored. Um, okay, so the last one is to be a sage. So a sage is basically the same thing as a mentor, except it's the context of a group. So sage on the stage, guide on the side. You know, the guide on the side is the mentor. The sage on the stage is the sage on the stage. So you, you come up with ways to teach the group. So with teachers, obviously, that happens all the time because you got the whole group there. Um, but being a sage, uh, like I mentioned, it's not just about the subject matter. It's about what kind of funny little thing, little ditty for that day. You know, can kids walk away from scratching their head like that's something to contemplate. So you, you're you're it's these teaching moments for the whole group. Often um, the, the, the sage scenario is more formal than the mentoring scenario because you're setting up a group activity wherein you're teaching the whole group. You can do that as a parent. Um, you can set aside an evening wherein this is just teaching time. We're going to sit you all kids down and teach you something. Um, you definitely can happen as a, a, like a high school teacher. Wilderness field instructors have these opportunities constantly. Um, teaching moments, teachable moments, they call it. Um, if you can transition from... Um, Beckoner, for example, into being a sage, it works all the better. Uh, there's this Native American game called Keeper of the Fire, wherein um, you, you, you know, the person's blindfolded and they try to protect their sticks from being stolen. Well, if you're the, the instructor, the field instructor, and you're, you're playing that part of the game, and all the kids are around because they're supposed to come steal a stick from you, well, you can end the game 
not you don't have to say hey, we're going to end the game now. You can just take the blindfold off. Good job, you stole my stick. You know it's really sneaky. Way to go. Hey everybody, and you can just go right into Sage Time. Fifteen minutes. They won't even know that the game's over. They might actually be wondering, you know, when they're going to start the stealing the sticks again. But you just took them on a ride. You you just taught them something. I've done that exact thing more than once. Um, uh, uh, taking a moment, unexpected or planned, to teach the whole group a particular thing, and and sort of practicing when might be a good idea to do that. Uh, sometimes Sage comes in consort um, concert with um, Catalyst. So when, you, when you're having to go interrupt something that's going on in a group, and then you turn it to teaching a principle of some kind. Or you go over, interrupt what's going on, some kid, you know, maybe bullying another one. You go in and you get in between them, and then you, you, uh, you actually, you don't even address the the thing that was going on at the time but you teach something to everybody and then as that applies to this scenario that just went on between you two um so it's these little cool moments um there were a couple years ago there were a couple girls uh, there's a whole girls group and these two girls were upset at each other i don't remember how and they were they were kind of yelling at each other and um I was thinking, okay, what could be done right now that would be a powerful teaching moment? <clears throat> Not just stop the, the fight. Now, the fight needed to be stopped. It wasn't a physical fight yet. It was a verbal one. It needed to be interjected upon. So we're, we're bringing in a catalyst. I've been being a guardian. I've been watching what's going on and noticing that this, this fight is starting and, and is probably going to escalate. So now can a, can, can, can a sage moment come in too? So I was looking around. I found a rock. I was looking for a rock that was had one color that was different on one side than on another side. Um, and it just so happened there was this perfect flat rock and split right down the middle in terms of color. It was red on one side and kind of a cream color on the other side. I couldn't believe it. So I grabbed this rock and I put it right between their two faces and uh, said, hey, you know, I just want to have a moment here with you. Could you tell me what color this rock is? And she's like, I don't know. It's kind of white. Uh, you tell me what color this rock is. It's red. So I went back and forth. You know, she says it's red. What do you think? Well, it's clearly kind of a cream color. She says it's cream color. What, what color is it? And she's like, red. You know, and I got them to, you know, sort of faux argue about the, what color it is. And then I flipped it. And... Um, the whole group was like, oh, I see, I, I see what you did there. And even the two girls, you know. Um, and then I, I gave it to one of them. So it, it, we, we can get creative and interject in such a way, if the whole group is an audience, that now that is sage time too. Um, we're hiking as a group and you notice something and like, hey, everybody gather around. Boom, sage time. So uh, those are the seven things. Go back through them. We're a mentor. We're a sage. We're a guardian. We're a catalyst. We're a spirit maker, a beckoner, and a seeker. All of those things flow together and the one helps the other. Uh, uh, three help two. You know, they, they all kind of mix up. Uh, 
to help somebody be a really, really good teacher, um, wilderness field instructor, line staff at a treatment program, coach, teacher. Think about each one of those subjects and how you can practice getting better at each one. And then you'll notice how they affect the other six. And um, you will... Uh, you will help your students in a far deeper way.